When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the 18th episode of the Pirate Rugby Pod. We have now passed 380 YouTube subscribers and our next stop is 400. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. We also had our biggest ever week for audio downloads, so thank you everyone for their support. Um, If you like what we do, please like, share and subscribe. Comments also give us a boost and we always respond to everyone. A reminder that you can find us on Twitter and sign up to our free Substack. Links for both are below. If you follow us, you'll get updates every time we drop a new piece of content, whether it be a podcast, a video or a long form article. But now to introduce our guest winning his second Pirate Rugby cap is the main event man himself. Caitlin Scully, how are you, mate? It's good to be back on again, Hugh. Um, as a main event monster fan, URC equals best league champions. It's um, nice to actually talk URC on this podcast for a change. Yes, finally, finally. Right, let's jump straight into the, the show then, guys. So, Ender, what was your moment of the week? Yeah, so for me, it was uh, I shared a clip of this online. It was Argentinian uh, winger for Benetton, um, Ignacio Mendy, running the length of the pitch uh, against Edinburgh. I just thought it was a great clip, show great pace. And for me, it was... I know it's that particular moment I've chosen, but I think it's that game as well. That game for me was a game I, I didn't expect to be watching this season. Um, and it was the game I chose to watch that evening. And it was brilliant. And it was a bit of an upset. And yeah, that was just a great moment. Great piece of individual skill. And uh, really put Healy's pace uh, to the test. And yeah, brilliant clip. What about yourself? So my moment was a bit of a Twitter moment. So I, I, everyone knows I like to put my graphs out on Twitter. and a so well some people don't like it and a well-known welsh rugby twitter personality who shall remain nameless came and name decided them. they wanted name them no, no, <laughs> no that's just what they want um came and decided that he was going to combat me with their his own graph and proceeded to do so unfortunately the problem with making the graphs was that both he and i were using the same source material source data to make the graphs so his graph actually said the exact same thing as my graph rather than disagree with it, as he pointed out. But before I could say anything about it, um, eminent Twitter rugby stats personality Sam Lana stepped in on my behalf and said, yeah, no, mate, your graph agrees with Hugh. So that was a nice little moment for him, for me. Big love to Sam and better luck next time to the Twitter personality. Anyway, what about yourself, Kaylin? What, what have you been up to? I um I had a bit of a slow burn of a rugby weekend, you know. You know those ones where it just takes a while to get into, especially on a big game big game weekend and wasn't feeling too confident about Monster's chances going up to Dublin. Thought based on what I'd heard from camp that it was kinda you know, if we get a point out of Dublin, that's kind of you talk about differentials in other sports, for instance, that's a good differential if we come away at one point, a lot of teams don't. And kind of what I'd heard to back that up. And then after, was it six minutes? They scored one of the tries of the year. It was sensational. Simon Zebo back to his brilliant best. But 
what I loved, and I don't have this in front of me, so I'm kind of talking on memory, and Captain Hindsight is not great at the moment, but like Jack Crowley sits down the defence. Um, I think there's someone in between Henshaw and Ross Byrne. Ross Byrne's still on the field at the time. He sits them down, offloads to Scannell, and that's something Crowley does really well, is, is sitting down defence. Scannell then forces Henshaw to make the read. He finds Simon Zebo, and everyone's talking about Gary Ringrose bolting up. But he is literally in a one-on-one situation with one of the best back three players attacking-wise that Ireland have produced in years. He slices through. There's offloads. There's out-the-back-door passes. There's, you know, that the new trend in rugby, which is preempting the line break, you know, getting in front of it, knowing it's going to happen. It has all that. And then Craig Casey stores in the corner. And it's, you know, yeah, I had a little dig or, or two on Twitter about, oh, Munster don't play a nice rugby, da da but it was just a sensational try. And it wasn't even bad defence. It was just we schemed up Leinster to absolute perfection. And listen, the champs are going to do what the champs do sometimes. And it was it was quite enjoyable. It wasn't a great weekend for my whole, you know, URC rugby is proper rugby because there was so many tries scored. It was a bit sevens-like, but uh, that was probably the best best of the lot, I think. Well, let's just talk about the USC. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's talk about the USC a little bit more generally. Then, so it's a, a, a league that splits the opinion. I think is fair to say, but is it fair also to say that the first six rounds we've had of this season, kind of, it feels like the best the league has ever been. Yeah, I think that's fair, John. Well, do you want to go, Hugh, or or Enda? Would I jump in? You can jump in there, Kayla. You're the guest. Yeah. Um, thank you very much. No, I I think it's been brilliant so far, to be honest. Like I I I pulled the table up here in front of me before before we started. Like you got Glasgow on twenty five, Leinster on twenty four. No team has won every game so far. No team is unbeaten so far after six games. First and foremost, that's good because obviously we see Leinster go seventeen games unbeaten last year, and that's all that's always a thing that happens in in this league. Then you have the Bulls on 20, and you have, what was it, one, two, three, four, five teams on 18 points to make up the top eight. That is, after only six games as well, it's very, very top-heavy. Now, granted, you can look down towards the bottom end, but we, we won't do that to you now, Hugh. Um, not tonight. I, I won't do it to you, because I, I also tuned in. But I think you look at the competitiveness, you look at even the fact that like the Stormers had a very tough start to the season. The Sharks had a very tough start to the season on the road in Europe. And they're not really that far behind. Like for the Stormers, they're only five points off the top eight. And we've seen before that they can do it. Now they have a serious issue with winning in Europe. It's starting to develop now. It's it's become a thing. Yeah. But you can't rule them out. There's so much quality there. John Dobson plays rugby the right way. The Sharks have so much talent probably don't play European rugby the right way is the other side of it. Like I, I couldn't have asked for more. There's there's one more round to go. It's probably important to note, but like even I'll be doing a, a preview for, for Munster's game tomorrow night and like Munster can move up as high as third or they could stay in eighth place with a win. Never mind with, you know, losses or draws or bonus points. It's just that's just the way it's it's shaping up at the moment. And that's exactly what the league has been crying out for. It is just like the top 14, except with um, a little bit less handbags and a few more tries. 
Yeah, and you also have that element as well, don't you? The top eight is now more important than ever. Like They've gotten rid of basically guaranteeing a team going through to the Champions Cup from essentially each country participating. So that that's yeah, going to make they, that, that top I mean, eight. Uh, say who you're pointing out there. <laughs> <laughs> I will not call out the Welsh reasons. But you know what I mean? Like that That's like I know it was something that Leinster definitely were extremely unhappy with when like they were happy enough with obviously the new, the new URC, but it's definitely something that they they weren't a, a favorite a fan of rather um having basically guaranteed um you know one team going through from from each place and and also from a conic perspective it was so bloody tough um when you look at who they're playing um in the in the old shield but yeah i just think that that's a really important element as well so that top eight's going to be so difficult to get into and you have to or else you're not going through with the champions cup there's no kind of back door um, anymore and just to, to build on what you were saying as well the head of comms Adam Redmond for uh, URC you know he shared a tweet I think it was either yesterday or today and he basically said it showed that there have been five different you know leaders on the on the of the table um, in the first six round it's mad I know Bulls have been on top twice we've had Stormers up there Connacht Leinster and now the Glasgow Warriors um, and I think that for me shows the competitiveness of this. I think in previous seasons, it would have just been Leinster from round one right through to the end until they got knocked out when it when it matters. Um, so I think that's that's a really important uh, piece as well. And as well, I think seeing the, you know, obviously the, the caveat here is the Welsh regions, right? But I think we, we all, I, I'll believe this one for Hugh maybe, but obviously for me, the big one this season is the Italian teams. And we've, we've seen how strongly Benetton have recruited. Um, and also Zebra, like I know they, you know, they had a tough, they had a tough result away to the Lions, but, you know, so far they've had their best ever season in how long, you know what I mean? I, I remember you, you tweeted it recently as well, Kaylon, that they've like, after only, what is it? Five rounds, they already scored more points than they achieved in the entire season last year. So I think things like that really do show that this has been um, potentially the best start uh, to, to a season ever. What about yourself, Hugh? We're not going to see uh, a team go the whole season without a win. Well, I think that's already out the window. I think every team has won at least one game. That's correct, um, yep. Whereas I think we might end up seeing that in a couple of other leagues this season. And again, Super Rugby is something where that happens as well. After, obviously, Zebra having that really tough season last season, it is great. And the Italians coming to the party this season, particularly Benetton. We'll talk about their win over Edinburgh uh, a little bit later. But that that to show that they can really back it up and that the recruitment that they've done is really paying dividends it is really encouraging. And yeah, the Welsh are having a very tough time of it. But you know, I I, I keep trying to remind people that there's a lot of stuff that's gone on off the field. And I think someone like Cardiff, for example, would be within their rights to be a lot worse than they are, considering the off-field difficulties they had over the summer. Uh, and I, I still maintain that the Ospreys have a squad that at home should be challenging anybody in the league. So, yeah, I, I and I just I've I'm I think the thing about the thing teams changing at the top, I think that's going to carry on through the whole season because you're going to have these cycles of teams going to and from South Africa. So as you said, Caitlin, the um, South African teams may, mightn't travel that well, particularly the Stormers and the Lions. Obviously, only got one win on their tour, but I don't see many teams, if any. Connacht have already managed to um, achieve a win down there, but. I think a lot of teams are going to take a real beating down there. So I think it's going to be right up until the last minute. You're going to have to be looking at your fixture list and going, oh, OK, we're going all right now, but we've got two games down in South Africa to come. And that that's going to knock us down a couple of places in the league. I might just jump in there for a second, because it's something that I've looked at before in terms of who plays who in South Africa. So, for instance, I know that Munster play 
the Bulls and the Lions. The hesitancy to not make it seem like I know who they play, but they do. Play the Bulls and the Lions. Just from obviously it's very early doors. I just want to ask you, what way do you think is the best tour at the moment? Like the Stormers were prolific at home up the last two seasons. The Bulls going to Pretoria is just downright impossible. Yeah. The Sharks looked like one of the more favourable ones, and the Lions are have lost more home games than than the the other sides. What way would you, if if you had your two fixtures there and the league fixtures weren't drawn out, what would you prefer away from home? They're all really good. Just to preface my answer, I think Lions and Sharks, because Lions I think are clearly the the weaker side, even if that still means they're still bloody good. And the Sharks, we've seen what they can do but they are one of the teams that rests their top players a lot. So I think you might you can catch them on a good day, shall we say. So I, I definitely would rather play those two personally than play Bulls and Stormers, particularly Bulls, because like, you've got the altitude thing thrown in as well. Like, yeah, They haven't lost to non-South African opposition at home since the URC started. Like That's how strong they are at home. That tells you there's the story. There's the story. I think Bulls away is the hardest away game in the league. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd give the same answer. I think on current form, yeah, the, the Lions and, and the Sharks. Um, interesting, you know, Stormers are playing at home this weekend, but I believe it's not going to be uh, in Cape Town at their, their normal stadium. Um, Stellenbosch, isn't it? This it's week? in Stellenbosch, yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting. But I think they're taking on the Dragons, isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. If but that's yeah, the one the that they played the, the Scarlet at, it's a beautiful location. It's absolutely stunning. It's like rolling hills. And obviously, yeah, it's lovely weather it, down there at the moment. The Under-20 World Cup was on there as well, um, I believe, for like mm. a game or two. It's it's on, It's on. just it's really old school, that kind of stadium. Like It looks like you're yeah. looking at a um, like the old kind of no-stand, just stand on the hill kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And the, the other game that's coming up this weekend is obviously... Bulls against Sharks. What a, what a game that is going to be! I think I'm hoping that they're all going to have their spring box out playing in that. And if so, and will. what an occasion! What an occasion! Yeah. And a shout out what? to T.G. Kaher as well, who do not sponsor the show. Um, but it's just a nice point as well. Like it, it, I noticed they when they put out their schedule, they are showing this game in Ireland, which is on free to air. Like that's it's such a good opportunity for the league to to broadcast two of the strongest teams. Like a, yeah, I think that's going to be brilliant. I know not in current form. This weekend as well. So Hugh, you can hop on a plane, come over to Ireland. You still get to see us. I'm going to be in the stadium. Us. I'll wave at you. Oh, do I? I probably won't be watching. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm going on holidays next week. I'm not going to spend two hours watching Scarlet's Cardiff, but I will root for you. <laughs> sorry, Thank Harley. You. If Harley's watching, sorry. I don't take favorites. But I'm yeah. going to. I'm going to hopefully be there with Harley, so I'll I'll let him know what you said. Anyway, (laughs) so that's the kind of unpredictability side of it and the drama side of it. But the actual product on the pitch as well, I have to say, like, I think the one that really hit home for me was, uh, I think it was Edinburgh hosting the Bulls, was a game played at a million miles an hour. And the intensity and the skill levels on show, it's kind of, and I I do watch other leagues, contrary to what some people might think. I do watch a lot of other leagues. And I have been really blown away at times with the quality of rugby because I thought coming off the World Cup I thought it would feel like going from dining at the Ritz to McDonald's or whatever like Tesco's meal deal or something but it's really not been I've really been like 
surprised pleasantly by just how good the rugby is did is that you know fair to say that these these teams have really started to take a step up this this season and really show the quality that their squad suggests that they should have yeah i think so um i remember i'll never forget it rory o'connor was doing an interview before on one of the many pods that he's involved in and and he you know he, he does he is you know he does like the orc but kind of one of his his comments um that i'll never forget was that you know, if if the URC is really to prove itself as you know a, a really competitive league um, and to put itself up against the other top leagues in Europe, you know, you want fans tuning into zebra games, and that's exactly what I did. Um, I know this is no disrespect to zebra. Like the weekend before last, I watched zebra v Cardiff. Um, and for me, that was a game like up until this season, I would have never watched. Um, and maybe I was just hopping on the bad wagon because zebra had the famous win the week before. I don't know, but then I watched it, and it was actually a great game. And I could see why Zebra are where they are this season. And it was it isn't by fluke. Um, it, it's because they're playing so much better. And that that ended up a draw. And I think that, for me, is just something I would have never seen myself, even though I'm a massive URC fan, um, and I was previously a Pro 14 fan. It was just a, never a game I tune into. Um, but it wasn't because I'm so obsessed and because I, I tweet about the URC all the time. It's because I knew it would be a good game. And I think that, that for me, shows how far the, this league has come. Um particularly uh, when you compare it to um, some of the other competitions, because you, you do have to look at the weaker teams. Um, and if you're looking at, say, the Premiership at the moment, would you tune into a Newcastle game? Maybe not, because, you know, they're they're rock bottom right now. And you don't really, like, a lot of people don't see them winning any games potentially this season, you know. Um, so I think that's definitely a, a strength of the league. What about yourself, Caelan? I think I understand Rory O'Connor's point about tuning into the lesser teams, but then at the same time, You'd never say that about the Premier League or the Champions League, for instance. Not the Champions Cup, because that's that's an entirely different discussion I'll get into another day. Don't don't have me on for Champions Cup talk. I, I'll rant for an hour. But I, I don't really agree with that point. But I do understand your idea that like if fans are going to start tuning into these games, it's good. And you even take Scarlet's Cardiff um, is on this weekend. It's on TG Car. They will get a, a decent portion um of viewers for that it's it's not going to have a, a massive market share but they'll get a decent amount of people watching and especially when it's on actually is that a half three game you three o'clock kickoff okay that's not as that's not as ideal so because the leinster Connor game isn't a half seven but if it was on before it you could kind of get a bit more and that's i think these are the things the urc are doing better in terms of accessibility i think the fixtures nine times out of ten are laid out properly Every once in a while, we have an overlap, you know, two Welsh sides, two South African sides, two Irish sides at the same time. But I think they're doing that better. And as you said, the quality, the product is better. And I think where I have to hand it to the coverage, and this, I don't agree with every pundit out there. It's it's kind of a, a, a focal point of mine that I don't agree with every pundit out there. But they don't try to tell you that games are better than what they are. Like if you're tuning in to watch Benetton against, um, say the Lions, you're getting someone like Ian McKinley on the commentary, who's not telling you that Benetton are going to win the Champions Cup, but he is telling you what to like and what to expect from them. And I think the URC made a concerted effort. They, they even said it themselves. They wanted to change the inter the kind of how people perceive the league. I think they've done a good job in that. It's not all doom and gloom. It's not this hype train that would, 
kind of make you get sick in your mouth either. I, I know we joke about best league and, and all that as fans, but like I think we know that it's... I did not really... realise that was a joke. I thought we were being dead serious. <laughs> but it's nothing... Like, we're not trying to... um, We're not trying to convince ourselves of anything. Like, when you hear BT yeah. Pundit saying that uh, Derby weekend is the closest thing to internationals, when you look at Munster-Leinster at the weekend, and that was literally an international game in all but jerseys. Yeah. that's I think that's something the URC does better. It knows where what it is. I think it's something the top 14 does well as well. It knows what it is. Um, And it's something that Super Rugby and the Premiership could improve upon. Because at the end of the day, the two leagues are getting stronger every year. And two leagues aren't. And it's the first two. It's the top 14 in the URC that's getting stronger. Yeah, the players, the pitch makes a huge difference. The coaching, the pull of certain teams. Don't get me wrong, but fans are turning up for different reasons. And some of those reasons are, well, you're not kind of only seeing your team once every three weeks. It's on every week, same channel, you know, and these, the most basic of things that weren't being done right before are being done right now. And it's allowing that growth. And I think it's, I think the the best thing the URC has done is created a cauldron that a league can just boil over in and it's it's absolutely brilliant yeah it's the one thing they can control isn't it is the actual products on the pitch and it's the one thing that they can sell it on because the urc as a competition doesn't have the things like the premiership and the top 14 have in terms of maybe some heritage you could say but if you say look just tune into the games and watch them then that's they can they can hang their hat on that and say what is actually happening on the pitch the actual product is incredibly enjoyable from for a rugby fan and like as you say Caelan with the broadcast deal very accessible for for most people um before we just move on and talk about maybe some of the things we think the URC could improve I just want to get your guys uh surprise packages of the year so far so I'm going to ask you not both to pick Connacht um and that was going to be my joke my joke is going to be I won't say Connacht I leave that trend (laughs) uh and I'm also going to ask you not to, well, no, I won't, I won't limit you apart from that. I won't limit you apart from that. So Andy, yours first, who's your surprise package of the season? I was thinking about this question and going, like having a look at the table, I, I'm not overly surprised of anyone. Like I was going to say maybe, like obviously Connacht, um, but I actually wasn't, I'm not too surprised to see them do well. They've recruited so well and they were actually quite good last season. Uh, let's not forget that they knocked um, Ulster at the quarters. Um but for me, yeah, like Benetton, yeah, like like for, for a lot of people, that would be a surprise, but not when you look at their recruitment and how good they were in previous seasons. Um, Edinburgh, Glasgow, I know Glasgow on top. For me, like none of those are surprised. It's more like the biggest standout for me is probably how poor, um, say, like the, the Sharks have been. Like that that for me is the biggest surprise so far this season is exactly how poor they've been now we all know they're going through a transition that they were missing some big players at the beginning of the season but it has really really been a, a bad start and um, for them so they're, they're definitely the team um that stood out but in terms of like teams doing well genuinely looking at that table um i'm not i'm not surprised anyone up there uh, and unfortunately i'm not surprised to see some of the welsh teams in the lower half we all predicted that and um, when you look at the funding like it's just reality i think for for a couple of for a couple of seasons unfortunately um what about yourself Kaylan? probably a boring answer i know sorry but Kaylan, what about yourself no i i i agree with 
most of what you said. Um, I, I again have the league table open and people can see if you're watching on YouTube the the light in my glasses just gets brighter when I open the table. It's it's not some sort of metaphor. It's just the reflection. <laughs> but I think the biggest surprise to me, as weird as it seems, or not the biggest, sorry, the biggest is probably Zebra, for instance. But I think the surprise to me is Edinburgh because even when they beat Connacht, for instance, and when they beat the Bulls, even as far as then, you were kind of thinking, ah, yeah, but they're kind of like all bark with no bite and they underperform a lot. And I always go back to like Munster played them last year when we were stuck in a rut. We went 14-0 down and they just didn't turn up in the second half. And they had a tendency to do that all last season. They were not as good as the sum of their parts. Um so I'm kind of surprised to see them kick on. But then at the same time, if they fall to eight in the table by year end, I also wouldn't be surprised. But I think it's it's been a good start for them. Four wins, two losses. Um, they beat... Who did they beat? They beat Connacht. Um, hang on a second now. Yeah, they just about... But they all count. Obviously, obviously lost to Benetton. The, the thing is not working for me. The website's not working for me. There we go. I have it now. Uh, beat the Bulls, beat Connacht, beat the lot, scrape past the Lions, kind of scrape past the Dragons. So maybe it's not as surprising, but I just think they kind of lose. Like they could well lose to the Dragons. You know, they could well lose to the Lions. Ben Healy was brilliant in both of those games, for instance, um, and kind of got them over the line. They lose to Connacht most years, and they probably lose to the Bulls most years as well, or at least based off of last year and how they performed in these games. So kind of have to give them their dues um the only thing i'd say is watching edinburgh is not fun they played a million miles an hour it is a lot of flair it's a lot of crack but the camera angles at the hive are nauseating they're actually so hard to watch i can't i watched the connor game i thought i was going to get sick <laughs> to be honest but that's that's not their fault that's um but it is kind of just go back into murrayfield and be soulless <laughs> i don't know about that for me, my biggest surprise from a Welsh perspective is actually Cardiff. And you might say that they haven't been blowing anybody's um, minds in terms of how good they've been. But I think they would be within their rights to be a lot worse, given the, the summer they had. And, the, you know, they didn't have, I think they had like seven players in training at one point over the summer. And people were wondering, are they actually going to be able to put out a 15? Are they going to be pull, calling people? Uh, up from the Cardiff Rags team that plays in the Welsh Premiership to try and field um, teams for URC games. And they've actually, they've had a favourable start in terms of fixtures, that is worth saying. But they have been competitors in every game that they've played and they have played some nice stuff. And you can see that they are starting to develop and you can see that there's a there's a level of organisation there. And if you consider that the coach that they've got was the assistant coach from last year who kind of got let go and then brought back and then they've got Gethin Jenkins doing a sort of part-time officially coaching role and things. It is really like thrown together sort of situation uh, and to, to look to be arguably the strongest Welsh team as we record today in terms of the performances so far. I think that they they certainly proved me wrong and if you know there are some rumours in Wales about they might be headed for some serious investment and if that's true I think the the new investors can take heart from what they've seen on the on the pitch so far and the the good thing about Cardiff as well is that something about them is clicking with their fans and their attendances are 
strong and getting slightly stronger every year, which is kind of bucks the trend against some other teams in Wales as well. And that is despite some, something that, you know, perhaps on the pitch, it is kind of disappointing. So, yeah, I think Cardiff are kind of being a bright light in what is a bit of a dim world for the Welsh regions at the moment. So let's then talk about some of the things that maybe we think the URC could improve. So like I say, I, I tweet pre, pre, I tweet pro URC stuff and I get lots of feedback from lots of people from different places. I say different places, people from France, England and Wales telling me about why the URC is so bad. Not all Welsh people, but there is, they're there. The ones who don't like it, oh, they're there. And so I, what I want to do now is I'm going to give you guys the kind of the main talking points that why people don't like it and get you to give you my your thoughts on whether they're fair or misplaced or or what have you. So the first one is that the league is somewhat so soulless because it lacks heritage and history. What do you rubbish. say to that criticism? Absolute rubbish. You can. I, I was at the Monster Stormers game was a week and a half ago now and there was a don't get me wrong there wasn't 7,000 Stormers fans there but there was a nice Stormers atmosphere there was uh, probably people coming from England or, or whatnot obviously there's a good South African culture across Europe and you know there's fans in the terraces but there was a rivalry you could sense it and I know it was a rematch of the final and you could say that about any sport in the world it's probably the biggest cliche about wanting revenge and, and all that, but the you build history, you build heritage over time. How can you explain how Munster and Cast in Europe is a rivalry when Cast have literally done nothing and Munster have won two Heineken Cups, but because they play each other so often and a niggle develops, it becomes a rivalry. You know what I mean? Munster Scarlet's had it for a few years. Munster Ospreys, Leinster Ospreys, for instance, I think people are so bogged down on it has to be geographical that these rivalries, they have to be geographical. It's like this innate thing that goes back to the lowest level of amateur sport that it's it's always you against the lad from across the road, but it's not. It's it's about building it and letting it develop over time. And it's one thing that, again, I think the URC has allowed happen. I, I don't even know if they allowed this happen. Maybe I'm giving them praise where they shouldn't get praise, but We've had these rivalries develop over time, you know, like Leinster Bulls. Leinster have yet to beat the Bulls. Leinster have yet to beat the Stormers. Let's see how they play them this year. Stormers have yet to beat Munster, you know, um, and obviously that came up big in a competition. As Enda said, the Bulls haven't lost a home game to a non-South African side. So whoever goes and becomes the first team to win there, they're going to have a target on their back from the Bulls. And then, again, like, Munster, Glasgow, um, I, I won't judge on what Welsh sides are rivals with other sides because I don't know, but like obviously Munster, Glasgow, Munster, Scarlets or Ospreys used to have it. Like these are, like the sport at the end of the day, the Celtic Cup is only, it was only formed about 21, 22 years ago. And this is where we are. We're talking about a rivalry against the Stormers, the Bulls, the Sharks, the teams we grew up watching with these incredible World Cup winners. Still have World Cup winners, of course. There's, there's yeah. no point to deny that. But like that's who we're talking about now. And I think people are so bogged down on, well, it doesn't have 30 years. It's like, yeah, but no competition really does. Like, 
apart from like even the top 14 was the top was it 16 when we were young and i'm not saying it's any better or worse because of it but competitions change they change shape you look at english soccer you look at the champions league and soccer you look at every competition in the world they change and new rivalries form over time so soulless no don't buy it yeah i'd have to agree with you yeah i'd I'd have to agree like and that's exactly it the the celtic league as it was like it's this is not an an old competition you have to give it give it a chance this is only the third season of the urc and I don't think there's anybody out there who could justifiably say that the league isn't more competitive now and that it's a better product with these South African teams in it. And for me, the South African teams and the South African public have bought into the competition. I think that that's really important. But we like we have to give the competition time. Um, it, it was so frustrating throughout the years because people were just always so negative towards this league. And, and I think probably a lot of the negativity that you get feedback on like a Hugh like a lot of that attention you get is from people who don't watch the products who don't watch these games like I don't think they were sitting down to watch Zebra v Cardiff you know two weekends ago um, and that's what you need to do you can't just be so critical from the outside and not actually know the product um, but for me it's all about just giving this competition time um, and look where we are now like look at the viewership figures from last year look at the attendance figures like this this for me this league is only going in one direction uh, and and there's a reason for that. And yeah, it, it's just I, I think it's just a bit a little bit lazy. And it, it's it's such an like a cheap shot on this league. And it's been there. It's been forever there. But I just think after la- you know, the last two seasons and so far this season, y- you can't say like like just because you sell out a premiership game and you might not sell out maybe, you know, Munster at home to the Stormers doesn't mean that the Munster Stormers game wasn't as good because the atmosphere mightn't have been on the same level it's about the product on the pitch it's about so many different things and just attendance figures and if you're and if you're talking about attendance figures the urc is is certainly going in the right direction in for most teams yeah so i think my my view on the whole history debate would be there's two ways of looking at it either you say the urc as a competition is only two years old in which case uh, uh, things that are two years old don't have history everything was two years old at one point it's like such an unfair stick to beat it with or you say the URC is a continuation of the Celtic League, in which case it's been 20 years. So at what point do we say, okay, now it has history? Is it 25 years? Is it 30 years? Then we say it's got history. Like the like the one that I always say about the regions, when the people say the regions don't have history, I'm like, there's generations of fans now who have only ever known regional rugby. They don't they don't remember a before time. So I'm I'm of that generation. So that kind of that might make yeah. you feel old, or maybe I just have a weird memory, but. <laughs> So, so that that's the point of like that these things do have heritage because there's literally people who have never known anything else. So how can you tell those people like, oh no, this is fake? And they're like, well, I've never the thing that you're talking about, the before times, I've never experienced that. I've got no draw on that. So that that's my thought on that one. So the next point, I think we kind of half covered it already. People say that uh, the US URC doesn't draw crowds. So, Caelan, tell me about the 50,000 people who attended uh, the game on Saturday. Will, will I just name them all? Will we do it that way? <laughs> <laughs> so there was um, Tarquin and the boys. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's just a cheap shot. And our Irish listeners will understand how much of a cheap shot that is. But the crowd thing is a greater issue. And I, I talk to you a lot about this, Hugh, about sometimes journalists, they caught down this rabbit hole of, our issue in whatever country they're in, Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales, is the world's issue. And it's so rarely the case. 
The only issue that really is that case is probably player safety and just a general lack of funds in the game to keep the current model going. Crowds is one of those things. Like you look at, I think the Champions Cup is probably a good example. And like I'll do a podcast on this next week if people are interested in talking about the actual EPCR era and actually getting fans' opinions on these things. Kind of like what we're doing here at the URC. Make sure you you'll be on. So one of the one of Hugh's daily podcasts. You'll you'll catch it there, guys. But I think that you have to remember that sometimes these things just come in cycles. And I think at the end of the day, you look at the premiership and you look at the cost to go to uh, was it Quinns or was it Bath? It's one of those. Bath. Like it's ridiculously expensive. By contrast, um, I think that bath game was what, like ninety-three pounds or something like that, which is about was, the, the st- standing general uh, admittance was seventy-nine pounds. Yeah, which is what, like seventy euro or something like that. That's I get a season ticket for like two hundred euro in Thomond Park in the terrace. It, it's a little bit more than that when you include like you have to get your supporters club memberships and and all that jazz. But it's something in and around that. If you don't make rugby affordable, less people are going to go. If it's not on at good times, less people are going to go. I can say this, the Munster fan, like Munster rugby is known for Limerick, but now Cork is probably the home of rugby in Munster at the moment, and it'll come back again. But that does mean that if we're playing at half five and or half seven on a Friday night in Limerick, you're not going to get a big crowd. It's it's just normal. Do you know what I mean? Um, It's different for, say, Leinster, where they're in the hotbed of, of rugby and in Dublin but crowds they they come and go and if Anton I think the unions and the league organization league organizers need to do more like I like the idea of judgment day for instance and I know Irish mates have gone to that game or those games because they say it's just a great occasion and that's that's a great way of selling the game and that's a great way of getting people in the gate and you do hope that it, it kicks on derby weekends that we've seen for instance, obviously we have Interpro weekends in the URC around Christmas time. Are great sellers, um, arguably great sellers because mammies and daddies thinks it's a better Christmas present than what it is. But that's that's a different question. Um, but you you have to. I'm not saying you have to literally go and drag people into a stadium to get them in, but you have to consider the different things. Is it the cost that's not getting people in? Is it the fact that you're a huge area like the provinces in Ireland are they cover quite a large area if we've South African listeners they're going to laugh at us saying that about the Irish provinces but you know it's all these things are all relative you have to look at these different factors and and how we do it and it's if it's putting on two games the same in the same venue try that if it's about you know obviously Osprey's moved a game to London they got a good crowd of, of South African fans like if say the Sharks played let's say the Sharks play Munster or Leinster they could probably sell out one of the Premier League stadiums in London do you know what I mean like you have to try and think outside the box as well and I think sometimes we talk outside the box in rugby it becomes the most basic of of jokes but I I think we're we're getting there at the very least we're we're moving the dial yeah, it's not ideal. I know I've ranched on a bit long about this. This is the issue when I talk about these things. It's not ideal, the crowds. But as long as the product is good, 
and we're trying to incentivize getting people in, then I think we're going the right way. How about yourself, Ender? Because as a fan of Connacht, you've got one of the smaller grounds in the league, but it feels like you're getting more and closer and closer to the capacity of it every week. For the last couple of seasons, Connacht have been pulling in pretty good. Like ever since the Pat Lamb era uh, and the and the the league win, Connacht have been have getting decent crowds. Um, but it is also important to remember, you know, Connacht is a small enough regional area. Um, and like the we sold out the the sport we um Connacht sold out the game against Leinster this weekend and that's eight thousand people but that's still eight thousand people crammed into a really small stadium so it's going to be an absolutely phenomenal a- atmosphere and I think look I know so many other pods talk about this and it's it's a simple point um but I just think the South African franchises maybe uh, they just need yeah like we see the storm is doing it this weekend taking the game away from the Cape Town Stadium we need to see more of that in South Africa some of those games yeah I think. They need to be in smaller venues, so generate a better atmosphere. Um, and then, it, yeah, look, it just it it looks better for people looking from the outside in, and you know they 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 might turn on that game, you know, say Connacht versus the Sharks a couple of weekends ago, where there was actually you know I think it was about ten thousand people at the game, but it just didn't look like that because they were scattered throughout an enormous stadium. So I think maybe the South Africans need to look at that. It seems that the storm is are, and and that would improve. Um, at least what it looks like um the exactly. optics of it in terms of crowds but apart from that like if you look at the irish provinces they are pretty well supported the regions is a different story we'll let you kind of touch on that you edinburgh now i think they've made a really really smart decision by by building that purpose-built whatever it's called hive <laughs> i know it's a hybrid pitch and not even hybrid it's it's a completely 3g pitch yeah and um, but the, it's it's a really smart move i think it fits maybe seven or eight thousand people that's exactly what you want and like every seat like it's it's completely Everything, every spot, every ticket you can buy is a seated ticket, which is brilliant. And the crowd is on top of the pitch, uh, which is what you need to generate atmosphere. You don't need to have 80,000 people there. You just need to have people close to the pitch, I think. Um, so I think certain, most teams are, you know, are, are doing the right thing and it's going in the right direction. And again, to go back to it, look at last season's figures. You know, there are more people going to URC games now. Um, and and the product has improved. The first time last year average yeah so like this this you know and and for so long we were so critical of the product now the product is in a really good place and we're only in the third season on this and i just think you know again we we spoke earlier about you know rivalries and all that we we need to give this thing time and it's it's just going in the right direction now um for for me certainly what are your thoughts you yeah well just to your point about the stadium sizes and things i think it's a great point like perfect example is the bulls attendance this weekend was twelve thousand, which is a very very good crowd by any rugby club's standards but the problem was that they were holding the game in an eighty thousand seater stadium so it looked like it was empty and he didn't have the it didn't help that the angle of the sun people were trying to escape from it because there's a heat wave in south africa at the moment so people were sitting in the shady spots where the camera couldn't see them but it was actually an extremely strong attendance figure for a club rugby match from the Welsh side you know I, I mentioned Cardiff's um, attendances are in a reasonably healthy place Dragons uh, are kind of where they always were I think that's just been going to be my catchphrase about the Dragons for the whole of the season is it's the Dragons they are the same as they always are uh, Scarlet's is maybe going to be a bit weaker because the team is doing so much worse I think in Wales, the, the only one that's really a cause for concern at the moment is the Ospreys. And I've, t- I've mentioned this a couple of times. So if there's any, any Ospreys fans listening to this, I, I don't mean to like, I'm not picking on you, but uh, they're looking at, the Ospreys are looking at doing exactly that of moving to a smaller venue. And I think the challenge for them is in Wales, 
that you've got like big venues and really small venues like 4000 seaters and you know is it better to pack out a 4000 seater than to like a quarter fill a 20000 seater maybe but if it is 4000 fan that would make them pretty much the lowest attended team in Europe so I, there, there's a balance to be struck there but yeah i think like like i said the, the league broke its own record last year for attendances it is still behind the prem and the top 14 but then it, you're dealing with smaller countries as well so i think there's loads of nuance that goes into it as well okay next point then and this is the big one so i particularly want to hear you you two irish guys give your thoughts on this b teams so classic stick particularly the english beat the urc with is you only ever play your b teams and you save your best players for europe discuss i will go first um no no reason um i could make a joke about connor don't have a b team or whatever i think this is just a horrible media trope at this stage because at the end of the day you look at okay leinster for instance have to play a b team sometimes because they literally have 20 of the 30 players in the Ireland squad or 18 or whatever it that's just numbers that's just basic maths that we can all do in our head if if we tried hard enough Toulouse also go through that every once in a while they have to make wholesale changes because they've lads with France especially around the time of Six Nations but that doesn't make the league worse because as I I like to think if you have a league where only your top players play for 20 times a season that doesn't have the same level of intrigue as chopping and changing and rotating and and it's actually one thing that I enjoy is you got Munster Glasgow this weekend, for instance, and I always come back to Munster because that's why I know and to stay in my lane per se. But Munster will rotate a small bit. They rotated last week. They took out maybe, you know, Alex Nankival and Edwin Adogbo and they rotated a small bit and they chopped and changed. But that's what rugby is. Rugby is an incredibly physical game. It has an incredible mental strain, an incredible physical strain on the body. So you have to make changes. The idea that because you play B teams, you're worse off. Well, like, what's stopping Exeter from playing a B team against Newcastle and then going fully loaded against an Irish team? You might actually win then. Do you know what I mean? Instead of using this as an excuse, like, even the point, and I don't mean this in any disrespect to our Welsh friends, but, like, Munster have played... Uh, they played the, the Ospreys and the Scarlets around Six Nations time last year. They played the same two teams and Cardiff around Six Nations time next year. We're going to have to rotate. We're going to have players unavailable and we'll still back ourselves to win. Even if, you know, I think it's Cardiff after the Six Nations. Even if they have players back, we'll still back ourselves to win. But that's just because our, our system's been going right for 20 years. It's not, you know, it's not because some lad on Twitter thinks it's it's an indictment. It's not great. I understand those optics aren't great, but still at the same time, teams are constantly beating each other. You know, it's not like we have, we looked at the league table earlier and it's kind of like a, a stepping stool. You know, it's it's a ladder per se or stairs. Like everyone's able to beat each other. It's B teams, C teams. It's a boring, boring debate. Like the same people also get excited when a 19-year-old comes off the bench and plays well. That's sport. You know, that's what rugby is. That's what makes rugby fun. Like, I don't know, like World Cup winning teams, Heineken Cup winning teams have had to 
go to the well um, and rotate and mix and match and evolve. Like, it's just, it's a very boring argument. And if rugby is so keen on playing games during international windows, I know the URC tries not to, where if at all possible, if it's going to happen, you're going to see rotation. It's kind of just the way it is. You know, there's no Premier League when England are playing Moldova in the European qualifiers. So they don't have to rotate. Like, it's just, it's basic, guys. Yeah, I'm yeah. constantly reminded of the famous quotes of uh, your man after Leinster lost the Champions Cup final. And he was like, well, the URC didn't prepare Leinster. I'm like, well, Leinster played their second choice team in the semi-final. So who's... who's and even at that, they didn't, prepared? which is worse. They had like six or seven Irish starters on the field that day. But anyways, you've triggered an angry Munster fan late at night. <laughs> What about you, Ender? What do you say to the accusation that the URC is just a, a, a league for B teams? I agree with most of what, what Kalon said. Um, for me, the biggest, like if you look, for example, just say this wasn't a World Cup year and you're looking at, you know, Bundyaki, just say he wasn't injured. And if he had played in all every single round up until this point, we wouldn't have got to see a player like Cahill Ford, who are, who are now like, and we're now saying that he could potentially, you know, make it to the Irish spot for the Six Nations, like that's how good he's been. We wouldn't have seen that player develop. And I think for me, that's just a perfect example of of why you need rotation. You need to give these young players uh, a chance. And it just it isn't, it doesn't necessarily like devalue the product for me because it, it is exciting watching this new player who nobody knows anything about uh, just play out of his skin and just like develop into such a strong like player like it, it's gonna be really interesting now when Aki's back and always he's out this weekend uh, this coming weekend uh, it'd be really fascinating to see you know will he get straight back into that kind of side I'm not so sure um, and I think that's that's what makes it interesting as well but for me like we've spoken a lot before but player welfare is paramount we have to start restricting the games that like players are playing we already are and and that's going to continue and you know I know with the new URC uh, setup there are less games now as well and I think that that's important like it, we don't necessarily need more games it's it's for me it's actually about less games than just having more competitive ones um but and that's not going to change and I think that that's only going that argument is only going to grow we, we need to have players playing less games and we need to start having playing in meaningful games and for me, I, I think it also comes back to the way, you know, rugby set up in Ireland. So obviously it's set up to benefit primarily the Irish team. And I don't necessarily have a massive problem with that. Like, so I don't mind that Bundyaki, for example, even if he were fit this weekend, if he wasn't playing necessarily. And not just because it gives Cottle Ford a chance, but because I want him fit for the European games. Um, and I want him playing for Ireland as well, you know, Um and look, we, we do have to admit as well, the reason the URC, two URC teams can do this is because there is no promotion relegation. And we know that that's there. And, and if you look at the Prem so far this year, you know, teams do seem to be rotating more than usual. And obviously there's no, well, there's technically potentially a, a playoff game at the end of this season, but I don't think any team is going to come up. Um, yeah, I just, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. And I think it's actually something we need to embrace, uh, especially, yeah, if you've got top players, they're going to be playing international games. So therefore they have to play less games for their clubs. Um, and that, that yeah, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. It, like it's, for me, it's interesting tuning in um, to say a Zebra game where I'm I'm not even seeing any, like hardly any Italian internationals. So it, it's actually adds a bit of interest to because I've never heard of some of these guys. And then guess what? They turn out to be 
really good players. And that's, yeah, it's a bit different, isn't it? What do you think, Isn't you? that the beauty of sport, though, in some ways as well? The fact yeah. that, like, you see a young player coming through, you keep an eye on that guy. Yeah. Like, even, yeah. even if it's a team that you don't even care about, say, Western Force and Super Rugby. Apologies if there's any Force fans. But you just watch a guy and you're like, geez, he looks good. And you watch him the next week. And yeah. that's kind of what sport is. You know, I'm not saying it's all about, you know, the hype train, but it, it's, a, it's part of why we enjoy it. So why does it become a negative for some to sue? I'm on that journey with Sasha, Sasha Feinberg and Gomazulu at the moment. I'm like, I'm watching yeah. it like, I'm going to watch you in a World Cup final one day. Like, then that's exciting. Um, so I'd, all I'd say about this is is three things. Firstly, if you just do the maths on someone like the South Africans, um, they, they've, only, they've got the same player pool as England, but they've got like... A, on average over the last few years a quarter of the number of teams or a third of the number of teams i should say so getting into a south african franchise's b team is three times harder getting into a premiership b team that's just maths so that that tells you what level even their b team is a step above what countries with more teams and therefore a more diluted player pool have so these B teams are uh, uh, still very very strong. I'd also point to just how good and, and come to your guys' point, the URC is at developing internationals. Like someone can go from making their club debut to making their international debut in the space of 12 months in the URC because it's such a fast track for bringing players through because they do get the opportunities and they are allowed to flourish and they're playing high quality games. And then finally, I just I'd give you the stat as I was checking it the other day. If you look at the appearances for like Anton Dupont or Owen Farrell or um, even someone like Andre Pollard for Leicester, they, they're the biggest stars in those leagues and they only play 50% of the games of the league matches. So it's not, I think the, the, the thing for the URC comes from a stereotype around mainly Leinster and that's for the reasons that um, Caitlin, you mentioned. And the Sharks are another one where they have a very like, the big boys are back and the big boys aren't there kind of thing so there, there are teams that are quite extreme examples of it and it just becomes a brush to tarnish the whole league really whereas you know from a welsh point of view we don't have the depth to to just change the teams like that we you'll see the welsh teams go full strength most weeks um because the, that's that's the only option that we have mm. um right just going to cover a couple of things that uh, last one i did have a couple more on the list but i'll skip over them so a couple of people come at me lately with the carbon footprint thing like in the climate crisis that we're in today, we shouldn't have a cross hemisphere competition. What is there any comeback that you would have to that? Is there any kind of mitigation you would say, or is that a fair cop? That's absolutely fair. Like I think we'd be we would be doing our jobs if we said that it's okay to have cross hemisphere competitions. The reality is that the way rugby is structured it's going to happen because we're they're going to have New Zealand and Australia solely, Japan by themselves, South Africa by themselves, and in Europe. And that clearly doesn't work, that model. Um, rugby has to try and grow and has to try and get around these things. And you could talk about maybe World Rugby could have got ahead of the punch 20 years ago and tried to grow rugby in other countries that we could have kind of had rivalries budding. Like you even take countries that are good at sevens you know say a kenya um take a hong kong you know to challenge with different teams and maybe that could have been done but that's all 
captain hindsight there's there's nothing that can be done there there's not that much that can be done about it but as far as as far as the pocket is concerned and the fact that that is the bottom line rugby has to include everyone because the loss of any great nation i know we're kind of seeing canada slip by the wayside but if that was a south africa for instance who were quite literally the biggest rugby nation in the world by quite a few metrics the game may never recover so they will feel like they have to they have to do something to help and yeah it's not ideal but i suppose at least there's there's blocks and it's not weekly travel and and all that but even that is probably only for selfish reasons more than anything else Mm. But it has those economic benefits, like, you know, especially in South Africa, which I think is really important. It supports a lot of jobs. So they're, to me, the, the good outweighs the bad. Like, it is a necessary evil. It's not great. But, you know, also the URC, I'm sure they're looking at it. They, they can invest in green initiatives um, and, you know, do things like that. Like, the, there are other avenues, but you, you can't really shy away from it. It is what it is. Um, but for me, it, it's it's a necessary evil. And yeah, I think the there. things that I, w- I would say about it would be, uh, to your point, Caitlin, say we kicked the South Africans out and they went back to Super Rugby. That hasn't solved the problem. You know, flying from South Africa to Dublin is not particularly worse and might even be slightly better than them flying to Wellington or, God forbid, what they were doing before where they were playing Argentina teams and Japan teams. Like, that, that's not any better. And to your point as well, Ender, the way that they do the blocks now and the, and the touring kind of does mitigate it. As you say, it's not you're flying to South Africa every other week. That's not how it works, and that is a mitigation. And the the other sort of thing I'd add to it is, you, you know, the, these teams by and large aren't chartering private jets. They're going flying economy on planes that were doing the journey anyway. So to say how much carbon on top of what would normally be there are they adding? In some cases, maybe not as much as you might think. But again, as you as you rightly say, it is a it is something that we can't ignore. And unfortunately, I just don't know what the solution to it at the moment would be, because like I say, as long as the South Africans have to play clubs from other countries, that issue is always going to be there. Right. So let's look to the future now of the URC and talk about the much rumoured British and Irish League slash English teams joining the URC. So it feels very much at this point like this is something that is going to happen, that there is a lot of willpower behind it. And we've all heard things separately about how, how far along the, the road it, it might or might not be and who, who's got the willpower to be making it happen. I guess, Caelan, we discussed it on your podcast previously. Does it is it is it definitely going to happen, in your opinion, it, or is it going to some people think it's going to die and not come to fruition? Um, in in my opinion, I think something will happen. I I think there there will be a change because I think the fact that the IRFU and I don't know if it was the RFU or the PRL or or one of them have come out and made comments on it and have not said no, it's never going to happen. I think is a sign that there's at least tentative talks going on. From what I've heard, and this backs up what you've heard, what plenty of others have heard is these talks have have not just been coming since the day that article went out in the Daily Telegraph. I, I believe it was the Telegraph, not 100% sure. Um, they, they've been going on for a while. The only question that I can see is, will we see a British and Irish league or will we see a URC plus? That's really what I boil it down to. 
I I'll put on the Irish fan hat here, and I think I don't think it's in Irish rugby's best interest to just join up with the English for a multitude of reasons. One of them being they would absolutely run away if things improved over there, and that's not a position you want to be in. I think South Africa is a bigger market. I think South Africa is a growing market with budding rivalries. We've heard of John Dobson saying that he's gone into pubs on Saturday evenings and they're watching Munster against Glasgow and they're watching, you know, Leinster against Scarlets or or whoever else. That's the market you want to be in. So I wouldn't kick them out of the bed, whatever whatever we do. Um, I wouldn't be in favour of British and Irish League. It has to be URC plus Premiership. We're going to see Anthony. But I think there's the talks are ongoing. I think there's, I I would give it maybe a sixty percent chance of something already being signed, even if it's just signing an agreement to say that we're going to formal talks. Like I I give it a fairly good chance that at least some clear legal movement has has been made just based on what I've what I've heard for a few months now. Um, and yeah, will it happen? Not the one to say, it, but uh, no smoke without fire, I guess. Yeah, yeah I'd just I mean, love to know how. Ahead, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Hugh. I was just going to say, I mean, they're all owned by CVC or majority shareholder of CVC. So why would CVC not look to join the Dotsons? There's definitely been toes dipped in waters. If you look at, you know, what did the, the Osprey's get a nod and a wink from someone at the URC to say, hey, why don't you try staging a game in London? See how that goes. Well, there was the rumours about the West Country derby between Gloucester and Bristol, I think, um, being held in Cardiff. Uh, now we've seen that the Lions, um, the Premiership and the URC are working together to make the British and Irish Lions more smooth, shall we say. So it, it feels like there's there's things going on that are kind of easing us into it a little bit. If I'm if I'm here with my conspiracy theory hat on, which I do like to wear. What end of what? What is your feeling when you you see this discussion? Does it make you excited or does it make you tentative? Just just one thing on CBC. I don't think they have a majority in any league. I just think they they've made a substantial investment in okay. uh, in those. I don't think that they, they're necessarily controlling them. But um, just yeah, going uh, to me, I just don't know how a British and Irish league works. If we're gonna like, where, just for me, where do you leave your South African teams and where, especially, do you leave your Italian teams? Um, I just can't see how you can, like, we already have, you know, 16 teams in the URC. Then we add, what is in the, what's in the pair now? 10 or 11? I think it's 10. 10. Um, like, how how does that work? Um, I just don't know. Where does this leave the Champions Cup? Where does this leave the Challenge Cup? Like, I, I really just don't know how it gone. works. If we go British yeah. National League, forget about it. Just do a semi-finals and a final and don't even give it the EPCR. Actually, don't give anything to the EPCR, to be honest, because they'd run it into the ground. But just have almost a Super Bowl-like competition of just playing off and then just do a game with the French because you might as well you might as well forget about it. I think it just it doesn't work in any way unless we go down to like so what are we saying? It's twenty six teams, potentially twenty eight teams, unless we go down to fourteen team divisions 13 team divisions and only play each other once i don't really see the the time and and the space to to keep going as as we touched upon earlier you just you can't keep looking for more games this isn't soccer you can't do it on the body you can't do it it's too too strenuous 
it would just have to be it would just it looks like it would just have to be you know two tiers of it um and look and when we're talking about the solenesses and we're talking about the the Heineken Cup taking that away just for me just seems oh like it just it's rugby shooting itself up. but look I don't know just for me as well one thing on, on this proposed British and Irish League I, I just don't see like I know there's been a lot of negativity in the Prem uh, given what happened last year in terms of the financials and everything I just don't see how like a British and Irish League will necessarily stop clubs going under or stop the rot like I just like if you have private ownership and you have you know, investors coming in and who aren't going to make a return. And if they just pull out, then a club goes under. I just can't see how that is sustainable in a sport that isn't even that big to begin with. I just like for me, like with the situation with the Prem at the moment, I just for like the only, I don't know, the only logical solution for me, I think, is just going the IRFU route slash New Zealand route where you just get everybody employed by the IRFU and you let the, the union control everything and you get these private owners out of there or you have them investing in another capacity because I, I just don't see how like if, if you're going to introduce a new league that you know gets a massive tv deal or whatever i don't know when you're you're going to have more games or you're going to have more people at games like but if you still have people back in these clubs and these clubs aren't making uh, a profit at the end of the season i just don't see how that's sustainable for me that that's the issue and i think for me like the solution there is going down the irish route which i think is the most sustainable um, I don't know what you, you guys think about me. I just don't think necessarily, like, if we have a British and Irish League, English rugby is saved and all the clubs would be fine. I just think that's a bit bit narrow-minded. I might just play devil's advocate there because without sounding like the, the arrogant Irish rugby fan, of, of which there are plenty, and I'm not one, if you're the English clubs, there is something to be said that getting playing the Irish sides every year is very profitable because the mm. Irish fans do travel. You look at it, even Munster play Exeter in, what, three weeks' time? And I'm in a group of Munster fans, and there's a heap going from that. And that's just one section. You know, the Irish fans do travel. I think there is, like, you look at a club like, say, Sale. Um, They played Ulster last year. They got a good Ulster support at the game, even though it was, like, minus two degrees on game day. Um. There is, there's always something to be said. Like these, these decisions are never made in isolation. That will be one of the factors. You have clubs that will travel. You have Welsh regions who say they will travel. And obviously, as Hugh discussed before, whether the fans put their money where their mouth is is an entirely different question. But there, mm. there's definitely scope to think that that joining up would would help, especially for away support. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it's got. A, well, just to your point first, I think if you're Harlequins or Saracens or someone based in London, you might host an Irish team and suddenly you're looking around the same like, where did you all come from? Like it, It's happened yeah. before. It's happened yeah. plenty of times before. <laughs> uh, but I think it, it's got a real strong potential to backfire for the English if they get it wrong, because all of those issues that we've just talked about with the URC, the reasons that people don't like it. There will be people in England who would cotton onto those and just start banging those drums as well. And something that I can definitely vouch for from a Welsh fan's point of view is if there are people in the media who are against it, even if it's only half a dozen voices, and we can all probably guess who they would be in England's case, they can have a sway and they will be banging that drum every week and in the paper on the TV just saying how rubbish, how awful it is. And especially if you're middle of the road. English Premiership teams do suddenly find themselves getting absolutely battered down in South Africa or over in Ireland every other week. 
then it's the classic thing of on my team's team where it's like, I'm not going to watch this. Well, who's coming? Who are we playing? Leinster. All right. Okay. Well, they're going to absolutely smash us. Okay. Well, I'm not going to watch that. And then that to your point of, does that stop English clubs going bust? So I think it has potential and I do feel like it is more likely to happen than not. But whether it would be a complete save all, you know, I don't I don't know if all in, all 10 English teams will be there to see it, to be honest. Yeah. Right. Shall we actually talk about some rugby that actually has happened? So. <laughs> so you are see, right. I'm going to go first. I'm going to get the Welsh out of the way. Uh, great win for Cardiff over the Stormers. I uh, just want to say we did our, our hype video about. Um, Feinberg and Gomazulu, and I was watching him closely in this game. And it, at times, it was like he was the only player on the pitch for Stormers. It's ridiculous how much of an influence he has on the game. Like he is, he, he can do every kind of kick and some kicks that I've never seen someone do before. Like I swear, at one yeah. point he did this curved through ball, like football style through ball, and I was like, I've I've never seen someone do it quite like that before. So yeah, I'm hugely on his hype train, and I'm really excited to watch him more. But um, Cardiff came back. It's such a morale-boosting win, and it uh, all told, it is already boosting the ticket sales for the Scarlets Derby this weekend, which is great. Uh, so, uh, and Mason Grady as well. So he's supposed to be the future at 13, but he just looks unreal on the wing, and uh, can win it as well at fullback for Cardiff. I, he has been phenomenal th- these first few games we were all hoping he'd get an opportunity with Scarlet uh, sorry with Cardiff's squads thinning out and how well he's been going for the under 20s where he's probably been the under 20s best player for the last year and he's really delivering on that he looks very assured so he's an exciting player as well I won't talk too much about the Dragons down at the Sharks the Sharks obviously brought all their spring box back and dished out a bit of a hiding it didn't help that the Dragons well, not only injury hit anyway, but lost both fly halves during the game. And then their scrum was just getting absolutely destroyed. And that that kind of was the tone for it, really. And then it, it, it was kind of semi-respectable for a bit. And then they just started playing too much and throwing intercepts and getting turned over in their own half and things. And the floodgates just opened classic style. So, you know, fortunately, it does sound like Will Reed is going to be fit for the game against the Lions this coming week and just fingers crossed for them being able to compete at least somewhat in that game. Um, yeah, just, just got to weather it, guys, I'm afraid. And then the West Wales derby between the Ospreys and Scarlets. Um, the weather didn't help the occasion, unfortunately. Made it a very difficult game, but I think it massively played into the Ospreys' favour, the type of game play that they like to have. They ran out 31 points to nine winners, but Scarlets were terrible in this game. They really didn't offer anything. And the disappointing from a Scarlet's fan point of view, it was in the second half. You could see the players looking around at each other going like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And that that's the worrying thing. And it goes back to kind of how we were in South Africa as well, where the players looked un, underprepared for for the game. And so there's a lot of pressure on Dwayne Peel at the moment from Scarlet's fans. It, and they're going to need a statement against Cardiff. And if we get battered by Cardiff, it's going to be... Some people are going to have their knives out, unfortunately, which is a shame. And I don't think sacking Dwayne Peeler as we stand today solves anything. But maybe it'll get to a point that there needs to be a change made. We don't know. Anyway, that's gotten that out of the way with. uh, We've kind of touched on 
Leinster Munster already. I think my impression was the same as yours, Caelan, was that it was essentially a test match level game. Is there anything on it that you want to add? Like, is there a sense of disappointment from Munster? Like, it's a missed opportunity, or is it kind of like, eh? You know, um, it's a, it's a good point because I think perception often changes the the conversation, as as we've talked about in in a different manner. But like, this was billed as Leinster's revenge game. They had to win this game. Munster pulled the wool over their eyes last May fabulously. Um, with with the drop. Do you support Munster? <laughs> I'm I'm as shocked as you are, with a nice thick Galway accent to boot, as if it wasn't confusing enough. Um, no, it was it was billed as this revenge game, and Leinster had to win, which is which is understandable. That's how sport goes, and Leinster did win, but it was not this convincing victory. I think again, you could make a case having watched it back that Munster, yeah, Leinster made more glaring errors like handing errors you know, loose passes, things like that. I think Munster was just a case of ruthlessness and just the final 5%. And every team goes through phases where it's they're they're struggling to to get just rewards for their attack or, or to score enough or for set piece dominance, whatever it may be. I think there's there's a case to be made that Munster could have won that game. And you even look at say um you know there was a couple of questionable scrum calls and rook calls that are still open for debate, and I'm not going to get into it because they were they were minutia ones. But say, Caelan Doris wins a turnover on the 22, it's a kickable penalty if it goes the other way because it may have been illegal. Then if Munster go on that late attack... A 50-50 decision going in Leinster's favour at the Aviva. <laughs> I was never... I can't going, relate. I, I just never can't relate. <laughs> There's Leinster fans who think Craig Casey was in touch despite a frame before the one that they're showing oh, don't don't give me your freeze frames on twitter we can all freeze frame <laughs> yeah we can all superimpose his boot if we need to <laughs> um great case in boys size 15 shoes that's how he was in touch but um no like i think there's a case where the monster could have won this game just as easily as leinster could have came away with a five to nothing margin on the on the league table and that's just i think the gap is is shortening and i think maybe it's I think um, there'd be fans across the URC who would rather see someone else putting it up to Leinster as opposed to another Irish team. But I um, I, I think it's good to see, especially for Irish rugby. So are you just... saying that you were a big fan of when Glasgow beat them? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no. The only thing that I was a fan of was the fact that I was going to do a podcast on Leinster like two weeks later, and it kind of confirmed to myself what I was already thinking. But that didn't go down well. Um, no, Irish rugby is, is in a good place. Games like that are in a great place. It's international rugby in the club game t-shirt. Like 50,000 people there. Uh, huge reception for Johnny Sexton before the game. Great game. Great intensity. It was like it was like a final in some ways. Do you know the way the finals are? They're not always the greatest actual rugby, but they're just intense. It's nice to see. That's great. It's nice to see that... Um what happened at the World Cup hasn't taken the wind out of the sails of the Irish public, that they were still excited to see this one. Because you, yeah. you might think that people would be like, oh, screw this. But it's nice to see that they weren't. It's, yeah, it should probably be said that this game is kind of, I'm not going to compare it to Judgment Day, but it is in that kind of like Saracen's big yeah. game in the fact that you get an awful lot of fans who just go to Dublin for this game. There, You can get an tickets through maybe businesses. It's an event. That's exactly it. Um. Because I don't like using terms like day trippers or that one when it literally takes a day to get up and down from Dublin sometimes. But 
um no it's it's an event and that's kind of how it does well like if this game was in Tolman though I still think it gets 26,000 or whatever so it's definitely good but listen it's um there's been a lot going on in Dublin so I think having games like that like the Cater Taylor fight having them go out down without a hitch and to be well enjoyed was was certainly what the what the country needed even if there'll always be people from from other sports in Ireland who don't play it it was it was much needed yeah, and from a neutral's perspective as well, like just what what a game, what an occasion, and as well we we talked a lot about rotation. It it wasn't Munster's first team, um, yet they were still really competitive. And for me, this like Leinster v Munster hasn't been like up until last season. Probably I didn't really care too much about them necessarily because I Leinster we're generally going to win the game and I think that has finally changed and I think that's brilliant and I love the way Munster didn't necessarily put out their first team and they could have maybe should have won the game like I think that that's really that's a really positive sign as well and just yeah this whole World Cup fatigue thing it's great it doesn't seem to be too visible in Ireland which is brilliant like as I said Connacht sold out that game I think it was last week against Leinster this coming Saturday Um, so yeah how did oh I was about to ask how did Connor get on and then I remembered how they got on. So first kind of blip. We talked about season. Ulster Ender. <laughs> we'll, we'll come to Ulster next. So Connor first kind of blip in the season. Say uh, Levy. Yeah, I think it comes back to you. You know the the strength of the Bulls. Uh, we we haven't really talked about them that much, but they've recruited really well uh, in the off season. I think they're going they to be there thereabouts. Try on debut. Yeah, uh, and they they just look like they've recruited well, and I just think they're going to be there thereabouts. And as I said earlier, like they haven't lost to non-European opposition uh, in, in this fortress, like, and it's altitude. <laughs> And I listened to Pete Wilkins after the game, the kind of coach, and he said fatigue, like it causes fatigue and fatigue leads to errors. And we saw a lot of those errors um, from Connacht again. But I mean, we did still score. Uh, it wasn't Connacht's necessarily first team as well. And yeah, been the yeah I just think I just think that they'll, they'll take it. And and, and t- like, to be honest, they, they played, the Connacht played a lot better in the second half. And listening to the coach after the game as well, like he was like Pete Wilkins was very pleased with how they performed. And I think that's really important because he's obviously seen a lot more than we've seen. And so he's seen them implement and the game, the game plan and everything. And yeah, I just think it's the, the w- one really frustrating aspect. The most frustrating aspect about this game was that Connacht didn't get a four try bonus point, despite how much they actually scored in the game. And they did have an opportunity to squeeze a you know, a fourth try in at the end, but the ref actually reversed the decision because of apparently some mount from one of the uh, Connacht players potentially calling for a yellow card. Um, but it, like it's also incre- it's incredibly frustrating. But I'm actually delighted from a referee's point of view, and like I'm because you don't see enough of that punished, and I like to see that. Uh, but I think Connacht that was really sloppy, um, not getting the bonus point at the end. But I think a lot of this has to go down to yeah the conditions and also the Bulls are in. A great spot. I think they're going to be there, thereabouts. We we don't do ref chat on this pod, but the ref disallowed a bulls try that had absolutely nothing wrong with it. He said that the guy was off his feet. Nonsense. But anyway, doesn't matter. Um, I did get an interesting bit of feedback although from a South African fan who was saying that not only you got the altitude and stuff there at the moment, there's also a heat wave, and the bulls pretty six degrees. The bulls players knew that not to not to like go all out unless it was like on on so they were playing quite slowly they were kind of 
when they had the ball, they were kind of holding back. They weren't going crazy with offloads because they are quite a, a running, offloading, exciting team. It was only when they like got the call, like, yes, now, that's when they would go for it. And then, then they would all take loads of time to take kicks, would take loads of breaks and things. So that's just kind of the learning how to play in South Africa that obviously someone like the Bulls have that visiting teams like Connor maybe don't have. And to, to your point, Caitlin, the, the team that first wins there from Europe, that will be a huge history moment. Right, come on then. What happened to Ulster? I already caught a glimpse this game, so I might let Kayla on take this. But just one thing on Glasgow, like they do not lose at Scotland. They just don't lose. So like, um, and I think Ulster have been, they've been hit or miss. And there have been rumours. I, I don't know how happy everything is up, up in the north. But we'll let Kayla on take this one. Yeah, I, I had one eye on it now, to be honest. I put it on the laptop for the first half, but on the, for the second half. Um, And post-game, post-five-point Interpro defeat, you're not exactly at your happiest. And being a Munster fan, you don't want either team to win. But, uh, no, Glasgow, are, they're formidable at home. They've had, was a one loss at home in Scotland since January 2022. That was against Munster in the quarterfinal. Um, they, they've had incredible ability. They play in a really exciting brand of on the Scottish ball. team lose a game that matters. <laughs> I don't I I have to I did not say it this time. I did not say it this time. All right. Um, no, they, they they played an incredible round of rugby to be, to be fair to them. There is great style to it. They've, they've racked up a lot of tries. And Ulster defensively have. They've looked porous at times since they lost Jared Payne. I know he's now at Scarlets, um, not doing a, an almighty um, messianic job or anything like that. Well, he's switched from being a defence coach to an attack coach, so I don't think you could draw. Oh, right. Apologies for that. So <laughs> I thought he was defense. He was a wonderful defence coach at Ulster, to be fair. But... He might still be. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, you could probably do with it, to be honest. But... Uh... No, I, it was a poor performance monster. There is question marks about, you know, the dressing room, but there has been injuries as well. So it's it's always hard to put your finger on it. You know, they, they have enough excuses there that if they do perform poorly every once in a while. But then at the same time, Glasgow are a physical side who go 6-2 quite a lot in terms of bench split. And Ulster picked three lads under the age of about 23 or 4 as their back rows. So, you know maybe the the writing was on the wall. I did expect Glasgow to win, but to get a bonus point over Ulster is is quite a result and, and hopefully they take um their foot off the gas as they head to, to Cork on Friday night. Cool. What other games we got then? So Lions Zebra, did anyone catch much of this one? I didn't see much of it. I was gonna stick it on and then I saw the score line and I was like, oh no, maybe I was in the same boat. I was gonna, I was gonna try and make an effort to see it, but I was like half an hour late, and it was over at that stage. Yeah, yeah, it was exactly... early on, on quite early in the day for the for the European times. I think it was on midday, if not. Oh, five to one. Okay, so yes, so exactly. I think it's just one of them. Lions are back in the South Africa teams are back in South Africa, and they are hammering teams. And I think that's a feature of the league, like we said. Um, Zebra, this isn't going to define their season in any kind of a way. Uh, but it is it is nice to see the Lions put a scoreline on someone just for a bit of confidence because they have had a really tough tour of Europe. So that that is nice from that point of view. And then, Ender, did you catch Edinburgh Benetton? Um, I caught some of this game. Um, I well, I, yeah, I kind of had it on the whole game on in the background, but like it was 
it was good. Um, I think Benetton, I'm not sure if Benetton maybe necessarily deserved it. Um, but I think they, they like it. I'm not, again, I'm not too surprised that they came away with the win. Um, but just looking at their recruitment, like it, this is just a really good result for them. And this is, again, I, I don't think they would have won in previous seasons. I mean, look at Umaga as well. Like, like when you're looking at the players who they have, um, I just think, yeah, this is just exactly where I want the league to be. Um, in terms of Edinburgh, like they, like they were Edinburgh were right in this, and like Benetton, um, like they were down to fourteen players. One, like did yeah. get a player, uh, yeah. yellow carded. Uh, Edinburgh did get a player sent off. Um, well, this was in the seventy seventh minute, I think it was. So that definitely affected them. And look, Edinburgh did almost win. Like Healy did. Like the last kick of the game was an attempt to drop goal by Healy, and uh, which is exactly what he did to to Connacht. Um. A couple of weeks ago, I managed to get the win, but he did like that's how close this game was, and um, so I think that just shows the importance uh, of it. But yeah, like it just a, a game you again I, I potentially wouldn't have watched in previous seasons, and and this year round I yeah I decided to to have it on, albeit in the background, but like it certainly had its moment like that try like that Mendy try that I mentioned, and just yeah seeing a really healthy crowd in a, in a purpose built stadium um is exactly what you want from from this league. So I think. Yeah, a great win for Benetton um, and Edinburgh. Look, they're still there or thereabouts, uh, which is good from a Scottish perspective as well. Yeah, it's nice to see Benetton get back on, on the horse after their defeat last week because you didn't want them to like start promise and then fall away. It's nice to see them maintain that. And I hope they get top eight because I think that would really yeah. it'd be good for the league. And I think it would be a real boon for Italian rugby as well. So that's, I believe, all the games. I don't think we've missed any. Even if we have, sorry, I don't think we have them. So let's do a roundup of other club rugby that's happened around the world. So top 14, uh, Racing are now top after they beat Rogers La Rochelle. La Rochelle not having a good season by any stretch of the imagination. Sia Khaleesi made his debut for Racing as well, which is nice. And he, he the footage of him is all over social media. He seems to be a real hype man, really buying into being a part of that team. And he's arguably the biggest global star in rugby at the moment. So I should imagine having him in Paris and things that are really buying into that, really loving it from a marketing point of view. Poe a second. So Poe are still, all of the like top French teams have gotten their internationals back, but Poe are still keeping it up. I don't know whether they're still getting underestimated or people assume they're going to fall away. They are right in the chase for this as, as we stand, and that's really exciting. Normally, relegation fodder in the top 14, so that's really nice. Uh, they beat third-place Stade Francais, so there you go. Um, Toulon are slowly closing the gap, and speaking of Toulon, they are continuing their spending spree. So they have today confirmed the signing. I don't know if they've confirmed it. The Telegraph has reported that they have signed uh, Lewis Ludlam from Northampton States. So the exodus of English talent to France continues, not just from the bust clubs, from the still existing clubs. Caelan, does it feel like with English rug, English club rugby, the we're still on the kind of the, the down? It doesn't feel like it's picked back up again yet. Yeah, no, it's, it's not going to pick back up not necessarily anytime soon, but it's not going to pick up that drastically soon. Um, like you still have players leaving. When you have reports of, say, Amaro Doge looking set to leave, 
while the salary cap comes comes down, it's it's going to take a while. And I know that's not the time of doom and gloom that people want to hear, but it is going to take a while before we see it kind of um, try to, I suppose, stagnate a small bit. Ludlum's a big loss to Northampton. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I, th- I think he's club captain there. If I'm right, I'm not 100% I so. sure. I think I read that. Yeah, um, but like a young, talented back row who's, who's been doing well at the club, you don't want to see that leave. Does English rugby have to do more to keep these players? Probably. You know, I think that's where it falls. Like the, the clubs don't have the money. They're, they've, the model is catching up on them and how they do it. And I've I've mentioned that before. I think it's probably slightly flawed in a, in a number of ways. But that's where maybe someone has to has to step in but then if they're not going to step on step in for three clubs going bust maybe they're not going to step in because a uh, one mid-table club's captain is going to leave for france yeah yeah exactly and i think the the french are going to really start enjoying this financial power they have over the rest of rugby at the moment i think there's reports of like 117 million pound revenue last season in france the only thing that might save the rest of us is that uh, the GIF rule has gone up to 16 players in your match day 23 have to be through French pathways. But still, if you do the math and you say, oh, that's seven that can be not that and 14 clubs, the still best part of 100 players mm-hmm. can be from foreign employees. And if you've got all the money, you can say, well, if we're going to have seven, let's have the seven best that we can get. So we're going to see some really top players going to mid middling French clubs, I think. Like Toulon aren't a middling French club by any any stretch of the imagination, but we're going to see a lot of players from a lot of other nations go to France because the money disparity there is just so huge. Anyway, I'll do uh, Welsh Prem quickly. So Llandovery uh, won their top of the table clash against Newport. They are now six points clear over second placed Ever Vale with a game in hand. So that's uh, fantastic for the West Wales team. Uh, Ender, do you want to run us through what's happening in England? Yeah, so Sale are top. They beat Bath in the weekend, 11-9. I have to say I missed that one. Um, Sarri has moved into second, and Gloucester have taken their usual spot of second bottom. Um, yeah, Gloucester have had a really poor season. I don't know what's going on. Um, Dudham's latest player to leave, uh, and Jack Singleton is now rumoured to be leaving as well. Um, so, yeah, I, look... I, I, I might. I'm going to touch on the English Prem just in terms of the the TV deal later on, um. But I haven't watched much of it, and 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 maybe that's because the RC has been so good so far this season, um. But I, I haven't paid an awful lot of attention to it. But yeah, it it, it is surprising to see a team like Gloucester down there. But anyway, look, we'll move on because we are stuck with time. Um, in the English Championship, Ealing are top after five rounds with a perfect 25, 25 points, six points clear of Doncaster. Uh, and no one really should expect that to change, I don't think. In the PWR, after two rounds, uh, Saris and Exeter have 10 points each. Saris having scored 100 points already, which is very impressive. Um, and just worth noting as well, there are very few teams in the north of England's yeah. comp. So this is just a note that I put in. Um, something that, uh, to be fair, I remember people mentioning it at the time with the teams that I think you apply for a license to be in the, the women's premiership in England and formerly known as the premier 15s. And like, I think the furthest North team is sale. And then you've got the Midlands clubs 
and then there's a lot of clubs in in the south and it's so it's it's a, if you're a, a young woman who wants to play women's rugby and you live north of sale so anywhere north of manchester basically you haven't got a team that you can go and watch which is a bit of a shame so i don't know what you could do about it because if rugby rugby's a niche sport at the end of the day and women's rugby doubly so so but it is just a bit of a shame anyway um do you want to just talk about all ireland league yeah so there were no games uh in the in division 1a this weekend but it was announced that ireland day will actually play Portugal uh, and this Ireland A team is going to be made up of the best players from the All Ireland League which is a pretty cool initiative I'm not sure if I've heard of this before it's, it's um, happened so I think before that's, that the Ireland clubs have yeah they kind of play Scotland I think it is most years or every second year so the top talent in in the energy I, I'll get a chance so it's definitely nice because they're they're going to get a game in Faro in the springtime which mm. certainly wouldn't say no it might not be Faro but it's definitely in Portugal um in the springtime which is not something to be snuffed out, especially for for lads who are doing the usual nine to five more than the rest of us. Um, and then just touching just one piece of sad news, I guess, from the MLR, uh, the Toronto Arrows have ceased to trade. Um, so we see another uh, MLR team, yeah, go bust. Now they have expanded, like they have, and I think there are new teams coming in. Isn't there a Miami Sharks team? in now, but that is kind of depressing from a Canadian rugby perspective, as they were the. The only professional team i think in, in canada so yeah yeah not good to see um but yeah i think that's it for the roundup for the weekends uh one thing i just want to touch on before we close is just what's going on with premiership rugby tv because i've had a few people uh i've had some really interesting conversations i've actually been in conversation with mark smith who's the media manager in newcastle falcons i never thought he'd be engaged with me so it's kind of cool but basically um, he is yeah and he actually he was quite um obviously irritated at the beginning of of the season because when the fixtures came out for TNT Sports uh, for the first 11 rounds only three of those only three Newcastle games were going to be televised um, on TNT Sports the rest were going to be on Hampshire Rugby TV Um, so then not this past this weekend but the weekend before that I did kind of pick up that TNT Sports were broadcasting uh, Sale v Newcastle and he got he, he tweeted at me going like we've had like virtually no information about this um and the way it turned out for that game was that it was on prtv uh, and then it was also shown on tnt sports red button and but it just seems like the communication with the clubs maybe wasn't there from the broadcaster which i thought was quite bizarre there's only five games a week guys yeah and then it got really even more interesting because then this past weekend on friday so i think saracens played on saturday didn't they yeah so on friday um correct me if I'm wrong, but basically the day before Saracens were due to play, they were tweeting that their game was going to be on Premiership Rugby TV. And then I kind of added them and I said, you know, this game is not on Premiership Rugby TV, it's actually only on TNT Sports now. They didn't get back to me. Um but basically uh <laughs> TNT Sports did come out. So basically Premiership Rugby have now added six games. Um they've moved six games from Premiership Rugby TV onto TNT Sports. Uh, which I think is a good thing for UK fans. But just one caveat to that, uh, for the games so far, they've all been on the Red Button channels. If you live in Ireland, there is no way to watch Red Button games unless you have Sky Sports. So if you've got Now, if you've got Virgin Media, if you've got Vodafone, you now have no way to watch some of these games, which I think is just ridiculous. So like they they pulled um, 
the, the coverage that they're supposed to have in Premiership Rugby TV and they put them on TNT Sports, great. But when you actually look at it in detail, uh, for the Irish market, it's not necessarily a great move. So I think that that's it's it's very strange. Like it's good from a UK perspective, definitely. It's like they will get more viewers, but I think from an Irish perspective, I think it's 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 a little bit odd that they pulled the gains from from PRTV when you consider that you cannot watch, um, you know, games on Discovery Plus in Ireland and you can't watch TNT Sports extra channels slash red button channels in Ireland. So bizarre move. And I tweeted about it yesterday and then I had a fella all the way from the Netherlands say that the only legal way he had previously of watching uh, Premiership games was on Premiership OBTV, TV and he said they've been pulled in the Netherlands as well. So now he has no way of watching Premiership games in the Netherlands. So he was paying for Premiership Rugby TV and now he can't watch those games. Now it is only six games, but still, I just thought it was quite peculiar. Yeah. Um, but anyway, We'll leave it there. Um, in terms of the rugby guide, we'll get it out this week, and we'll again we'll have our breakfast show on Friday. Any any final word words, lads? We've we've gone <laughs> we've gone long to this could be our longest episode. No more to any say. We said it all. And yeah, thanks a million for Kaylan for coming on again. See you guys next Always week. Great to be on, lads. See. Podcast Network.